Well, hey, welcome back to Everything Just Changed. I'm Bryce Hales, and I'm with my friend Brad Edwards, and we are sitting down again to help you navigate what does it look like to live a life of faithfulness to Jesus and love for our neighbors in a post-Christian and post-pandemic world. We've been asking the question, what do we do when everything we thought life was has just been turned on its head and everything has just changed as a result of the COVID-19 pandemic and racial injustice in our in our culture and just the incredible division that we are all experiencing in, uh, in the United States especially. And so uh, we are in season two of this podcast where Brad and I are trying to bring you what we think of as a new paradigm to help us understand and explain what's going on in our world and uh, point a way forward towards faithfulness to God and love for our neighbors. And so we're really asking the question this season in some ways, what in the world happened to the church? What in the world happened to the evangelical church? And so Brad, I want to kind of set this up this week by talking about Breaking Bad. Are you, I'm a, are you a Breaking Bad fan? Oh man, actually, uh, I, I'm not not a fan. I also just haven't seen the show because when it was coming out and everybody was raving about it, I was in a really kind of a let's just call it a, a kind of a dark season of life, and uh-huh. and and so uh, I needed something very silly. So I think I I got really excited at the time um, about uh, one or another of the DC Marvel shows that were currently on gotcha. Netflix. So uh, <laughs> that's I'm. I just I just oh, checked in my hipster card. Uh, wow, wow. So, okay, so <laughs> so my, break it down for me though. My 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 opinion of of Breaking Bad is that this was the most incredible thing that has ever happened on television. Mm. And Breaking Bad for people like Brad who don't know is the story of Walter White who is a, a high school chemistry teacher who's kind of probably been underpaid and underappreciated most of his life and gets diagnosed with lung cancer and as uh, as the title indicates breaks bad decides that he's going to just cash it all in and becomes a uh, a, a drug kingpin he's going to get his and I think it's five or six seasons. And it, it I, I read an interview with um, the creator of Breaking Bad, Vince Gilligan, once where I think what he said, his goal in, in Breaking Bad was to take Mr. Rogers and turn him into Scarface by the end of the season. And that description is what led me to watching this series after it had, I, I think the first couple seasons were already out because As a concept, I thought that was fascinating. But as it played out over several seasons, it was a fascinating show to to be a part of watching because I think it's the first show where the anti-hero really like there's a lot of stories now in our culture with this concept of the anti-hero but where the protagonist is not the good guy Hmm. and and you find yourself as breaking bad progresses rooting for walter white as he descends further and further into just darkness and evil and you're hoping that he's going to get away with it at the end Hmm. and that concept of the anti-hero, the protagonist who we shouldn't like, but we're really rooting for, I think is such a, is such a fascinating idea. Hmm. And the reason I bring all that up is because I wonder if there's a sense in which where we are culturally is we are 
we have kind of given into this anti-hero mentality where we are rooting for the wrong character, the wrong person, uh, the wrong personality type. We have, without really realizing it, as a culture become obsessed with the individual, with our individual freedoms, our individual rights, our, our sole point of reference is ourselves. Hmm. To the extent to which, I mean, I remember I was a college pastor for six years and, um, you know, I would sit down with students and they would say things like, well, I know that I'm struggling through this decision about what I'm going to do after graduation, but what I know that what I have to do is do whatever makes me happy. And I, and I would say to them, do you realize that you have cast selfishness as a virtue in the way that you've just said that? And that's kind of where we are as, as a culture now, where the idea that I have to be true to myself mm. forms the core of our identity. Man. And I think we're living in, a, in an anti-hero culture where we are rooting for the wrong protagonist we're rooting for the bad guy when we really in breaking bad as much as we didn't want hank his you know brother-in-law the de agent to find out who walter was and come in and put an end to this like that is good and that is just hmm. and yeah. i think we've 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 gotten backwards into this thing to the extent that we don't even know we're backwards man I, that is that is insane man i it's interesting. I'm, I'm going to make some assumptions here because having not seen the show, uh, I, you know, I'm going to hold this loosely. So, so t tell me if I'm wrong about this, but it strikes me that that would not be possible. Um, we wouldn't root for Walter White or, um, you know, like as you were describing this, I was thinking of the show House of Cards, which my wife and I love. Exactly. Perfect example. My God, I, like these are not good people. And I really yeah. want them to succeed. And the good people who are like, like even they get sucked up into and twisted themselves by, uh, you know, the president and first lady in House of Cards. Yeah, Frank and, Underwood. Yeah. And if they don't, they are killed. <laughs> yeah. Right. And and there's there's we would you know, identify with these characters if we didn't. Uh, or we, we wouldn't root for them if we didn't identify with them in some way, if we didn't say this is something I approve of and, and is okay. You know, what's fascinating about House of Cards as an example of what I'm saying is that we were rooting for Frank Underwood, the anti-hero, but then when Kevin Spacey, who plays Frank Underwood, was outed in sort of the Me Too movement... Netflix dropped the show and most people that I know didn't even watch the last season. And so it shows how conflicted we are where there is this sense in which we're rooting for the wrong character. But when in real life, the evil really comes to the surface, we are, we are deeply uncomfortable with that. And that's, that's good. Mm. Yeah. No, that's actually really hopeful. And I think you're right. I did watch the last season. Um, even though she's right. still the same character, um, as she always has been, her association of Frank Underwood's uh, power and rise and her connection to that felt tarnished too. And I found it significantly harder to feel like I could keep rooting for her even afterwards. Mm -hmm. Like, so, so the real life um, downfall of Kevin Spacey and exposure of Kevin Spacey absolutely translated into that. Um, and, and 
good Lord, man. What, what is so interesting about this comparison is um, in our current political climate and the national conversation, whether we're talking about ma- to wear a mask or not to wear a mask, uh, or the, the racial injustice that is still an ongoing conversation, thank God, um, it doesn't matter what topic we pick. It almost feels like our engagement in that is a similar type of attachment and engagement with fictional characters in Breaking Bad or House of Cards. Mm. We're almost participating as fans and not as citizens. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So we're, we're talking about the, the anti-hero of individualism, which has become the protagonist of American culture. Mm-hmm. And that is coming to the surface in the current chaos that we are wading through. And there's an article that I want to kind of use as a jumping off point for this episode today that David French um, wrote, gosh, a couple months back, I think, I think in May, um, the end of May called uh, the title is the center is not holding. And um, I think, I think this article um, David French is putting his finger on what's going on uh, in our culture when the anti-hero of the individual takes center stage. And we're essentially what we're doing is we're rooting for the individual, but we don't like the effects of individualism and what they're producing in our culture. Hmm. Did you, uh, did you, did you read David's article? Yeah, I, I would, I mean, I, well, full disclosure, um, I have a complete man crush on David French. And so um, I, I, pretty much read anything he writes. And so I'm, I'm a big fan of that article. And, um, what was so interesting about it to me was he, he rightly diagnoses how the polarization that is happening in in these areas that good, well-reasoned, intentional people should be able to identify common ground in the midst of and affirm, but we don't, we end up kind of shouting at and focusing on those places of, a, of disagreement. And there's an intensity that David French kind of, uh, in, at least implicitly, if not explicitly, writes about and identifies uh, without fully diagnosing, like, why is it that we are unable to um, affirm that common ground, to come together in that? But I love the way that he describes it uh, here. He says... Um, in the way that he defines the word center when he says this. He says, and by center, we shouldn't think political moderates. Like he's not referring to people whose views average out to be the middle of the road. He said, instead, we should think of it as the center of moral and cultural gravity, a nation's moral core. And so he describes how the United States, the center is being swallowed by partisanship and polarization. And, and because outrage and clickbait is incentivized in one of any number of different vehicles and venues and spheres, um, there's, there's little opportunity for a moral or uh, uh, value-based center to hold, never mind um, yeah. has the strength. Yeah. Yeah. He's talking, he's using the word center in the way that the Bible uses the word heart. The, the Bible doesn't use the word heart to mean our emotions like we usually think of using our heart. Uh, the, the Bible talks about the heart, not like over against the mind, but the heart is the control seat of the person, mm. which in 
involves the, the wholeness of who you are as a person. That's good. And so to love God with all my heart is not to love him with my emotions. It's to love him with all that I am. Mm. And so I think, I think David French is using center in the same way, right? It's not the, the middle between left and right on the political spectrum is sort of the, the controlling moral center of who we are as a nation is not holding as the two sides of kind of the political cultural spectrum are tearing each other apart. Mm, yeah. So what is it being replaced by? Why, why is that being tear, torn apart? What is, what is the, the root of this that is making that less potent or, or, or anchoring in the midst of this polarization? Yeah. So, you know, essentially our thesis that we're talking about in, in the season of our podcast is that the, the thing that is replacing the center is this idea of the individual who achieves his own identity through accomplishment, he or she. So it, the, the individual, um, you know, we, we know we live in this time where the, the, even the phrase identity politics is thrown around. I'm not sure if anybody actually knows what that means, but, but identity has become such a, uh, a contr- like a central issue in our culture. Mm-hmm. Um, who are you mm-hmm. and do, and how do you answer that question? has become such a a central part of the national conversation. And our contention is that the way that both secularism and evangelicalism de facto answers that question Hmm. is your identity is achieved through your actions as an individual. Mm -hmm. And we're wanting to contrast that with a biblical understanding that our identity is received from who God says we are. And so what happens, and this is part of what David French is highlighting in this, in this article, is that when our identity is achieved, it becomes almost impossible to have a productive conversation about differences that really matter. Because when you threaten me, uh, when you disagree with me, uh, you're not just disagreeing with my ideas, you're disagreeing with my personhood. And so David French talks about, you know, on the left, we see people saying, oh, of course, writing is wrong, but police brutality is the real crisis. But on the right, we hear people saying, of course, Floyd's death, George Floyd's death was wrong, but writing is the tyranny. Um, or related to the pandemic on the left, of course, we need to consider economic pain, but human lives are at stake here. On the right, of course, we need to care for the vulnerable, but the economy is collapsing. And so we, we've lost the ability to say both and. Yeah. Because my, my dignity, worth, and value is achieved by how I attach, how I achieve my identity through my attachment to these causes. Man, dude. I- yeah, because the admission that your tribe, whether that is kind of an evangelical tribe or, and, and by evangelical, we don't necessarily mean just Christian, but like kind of evangelical influenced kind of conservative general end of the spectrum, it, evangelical, mobile, affluent white culture. Totally. Um, and uh, as a contrast, the secular tribe, um, no matter which tribe you're talking about to break from them. Um, to either self-critique or to crit- or to agree with another tribe puts, if not the your your very source of dignity and value and worth on the on the line, it at least puts the means by which or questions the the vehicle for achieving your dignity, value, and worth in question and on the line. Um, yeah. and- 
that's the case, then it's less reliable. And in the midst of a polarized, crazy, chaotic society, you have to, where is that anchor? If not the tribe you have thrown in with. And so it's, it's like our human tendency and need genuinely for a transcendent identity that is anchored in something outside of our circumstances and outside of what our national politics are looking like right now. We, we kind of intuitively still, we know we need that, but we direct it instead of toward a transcendent God, toward a tribe. And that is something evangelicals are as guilty of as, as the, our you know, secular counterparts. Yeah. Yeah. So I think the you know, the tragedy in the time that we're going through, I mean, there's a lot of tragedy in the, in the time that we're going through. Um, but if I could highlight the most tragic of the tragedies is the way that the evangelical church is, is not rising to the occasion in this time. And I think to use, again, like the language of David French that the center is not holding, I think for a long time, evangelicals in general were people who saw themselves as the center. You know, I mean, even just the phrase, the moral majority, which not all evangelicals would agree with, uh, sort of implies that that we, we are the, not again, not the political center between left and right, but we are the controlling moral influence that is going to keep this country on track. The national conscience. Yeah. Yeah. And so I think evangelicals have seen themselves as the center that is going to keep, um, you know, American culture from drifting too far off track and the tragedy. And I think you begin to see this really post the 2016 election, but it's been accelerated in the last six months, seven months since um, the pandemic set in. And then the subsequent conversation around racial justice and the division this has all caused. It's clear that evangelicals are not holding the center anymore. Mm -hmm. Um, And so to go back to kind of where we started, where evangelicals are cheering for the wrong hero because evangelicalism, again, this isn't true of everyone as an evangelical, and this isn't true um, in a, like most evangelicals would disagree theologically, but in a practical sense, Mm. evangelicalism has so rooted itself to individualism Mm -hmm. that in a time of profound crisis, evangelicalism has not been able to hold the center. And so what, what we're talking about in, in this season two of our podcast is, is really um, the way that individualism is playing itself out across political lines. And so um, if you want to get a, a glimpse for how we're thinking about this, uh, check out our new website, <laughs> which is kingandkingdom.community, where we've got a chart that explains everything that's going on. It's very simple, but it's based around... And it's right. It's, 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 yeah. it, it's right. It's right. And, and the reason that we can say that with confidence is because we didn't... We, didn't, we just stumbled into this. We did not, we did not like out of our uh, genius, um, come up with this. We just stumbled across it. I mean, I do think we can take ownership. We created it, but we didn't like, we just, we just stumbled across a great idea. Yeah. We're connecting dots that other people have already drawn. And 
this is in many ways very much a map that explains existing landscape and uh, and destinations and mile markers and et cetera. Yeah. So I know if you're listening to this right now and you're in your car or you're working out or something like that, I hate it when I'm listening to a podcast and they say this, but you've got to go to our website and either now or later, uh, kingandkingdom.community and take a look at a simple two by two chart because what, what, what our conviction is, is, is this. Um, Jesus is the king who invites us into a kingdom way of living. And biblical Christianity means we follow the king into his kingdom. And uh, as we've said before, Mark Sayers has talked about secularism as wanting the kingdom without the king. So this beautiful kind of advanced way of life that is in many ways the fruit of Christendom, but without acknowledging the king. And Brad, we kind of stumbled into this realizing that there's a other way to fall off the wagon here and that is to embrace the king but de facto deny the reality of the kingdom yes well because and this is connected to our current conversation so perfectly because as um as we have handed over uh our religious identity to our political activity uh we we functionally say that what we, we are conflating and confusing uh, kingdom with pol- political realities. Okay. Mm. And so, a- and as we do that, increasingly, we start to reduce God's kingdom to a political party platform. And therefore, we reduce also God's kingship over our lives. So over time, both secularism and evangelicalism slides into no king and no kingdom which is functionally a fundamentalism. And the reason that is, is because if you, if you pursue the kingdom without the king, you get to define kingdom yourself. You make yourself the king. Mm. And, and at, over time, that increasingly has little and less and less overlap with the kingdom. On the evangelical side, it is also true because over time, when you reduce God's kingdom to little or nothing, Jesus becomes a mascot. And therefore, you have determined that you are king, even though you have the thematic Christian language and still some overlap, but functionally, you are your own authority. Right. Yeah. So when evangelicalism, while still giving lip service to Jesus as the king, uh, evangelicals are are functionally reducing Jesus to our mascot. If if all we see, um, if we reduce kingdom involvement to sort of uh, right to life issues, mm-hmm. civil liberties, uh, yeah, and religious freedom. If that's if that's essentially all it means, and that's kind of what dominates our votes, uh, we're not really living in a in a kingdom oriented way, and we're really reducing Jesus, the King, who we still say is the King, to the mascot, who well, is kind of like leading the charge, but only in a you know show sort of a way and and man that helps really clothe and uh i'm gonna make up a word concretize or make concrete this this idea that over time you slide into toward a fundamentalism because the very people who care about rightly so uh you know right to life and fighting for the unborn um now when it comes to masks are functionally saying Hey, my argument is this is my body and my choice. Right. <laughs> right. Right. Conservative flavor of the same critique that they've been Whoa. when it comes to to uh to abortion. We're saying yeah. no, my neighbor's life is less important than my own. 
and therefore well, not even my neighbor's life but um my neighbors they're not just saying my neighbor's life is less important than my own they're saying my neighbor's life is less important than my freedom to choose bingo and yeah and like you're saying evangelicals when the issue is abortion find that argument abhorrent but are now advancing it when it comes to something as simple as wearing a mask in public absolutely okay so evangelicalism is what a attempt to achieve our identity looks like in a more right-leaning conservative expression Mm -hmm. secularism is what it looks like when we try to achieve our identity in a more progressive way um one is a way of embracing the king without the kingdom. The other embraces the kingdom without the king. Mm-hmm. They both tend t- towards fundamentalism. Okay, mm-hmm. what's the option? Tell us, what does it look like when we follow the king and, and his kingdom? This is good. So what is so important about this conversation and the reason why, Bryce, you and I have said, actually, the root of this is not a secular post-Christian culture, but an individualism that is expressed in in all aspects of the culture is because it all goes back to where do you source your dignity, value, and worth? And where is that source then formed and forming and shaping you and your dignity, value, and worth in a way that anchors and centers and holds in the midst of all this polarization? Now, um, so as we were talking about this beforehand, um, we were just asking the question of like, okay, where... Is there anywhere we see this in scripture where there's this, this like kind of dichotomy between two options and in uh, a third way, right? Instantly, we gravitated toward Matthew 22, where Jesus is being confronted by the Pharisees and they're trying to trap him. They're trying to give him a false choice. So they ask him, should we pay taxes to Caesar? Now, the context and background for this conversation, right, is that the Pharisees think, no, we should not give taxes to Caesar. The Sadducees think, yes, you should. And they represent the kind of political right and the political left, uh, respectively. Okay. Jesus knows this is a trap. He says, you have a coin. Give me me one of his coins. And they give him a coin. He says, "Whose, whose image, and this word image is very, very important. He says, whose image is this? And they say it's Caesar's. So, and, and Jesus responds not with saying, yes, pay your taxes or no, don't pay your taxes. He says, render unto Caesar what is Caesar's and render unto God what is God's. Now, he is being very diplomatic and he's sidestepping it, but he's also offering a very powerful critique because what they're actually asking about is if, if Caesar's authority to collect taxes from the conquered uh, people of God... He is doing so with the explicit authority that he is doing so because he is himself a God to be worshiped and divine. Therefore, he has the authority to collect taxes from you. Jesus says, hey, your identity is not determined by what Caesar says. Your dignity, value, and worth is not rooted in whether or not you make the right choice to pay taxes. It is rooted in the fact that you bear God's image and you are stamped with his ownership and his kingship. Hmm. And so when he says render unto Caesars, in a sense, he's, he's delineating religious and political identity in a way that for like in our modern times has been so thoroughly conflated. We think our vote is an expression of conscience. And we hmm. like, I'm, I'm saying we, because, you know, we are, you and I, Bryce, are theologically evangelical, even if culturally we have some serious heavens. Yeah. Di- givings on that, right? Yeah. Um, it is since the moral majority where we have 
described the the our vote as what is the Christian vote, mm-hmm. and and we have implicitly been cultivating a an environment where that confusion is infinitely harder to navigate mm-hmm. in, in our identity, and it, it, it bears it's it's actually, it's backed up by the data. Yeah, and so what that looks like as we think of our vote as as the expression of our conscience or really which is really to say the expression of our identity. Yes. And what if here's the alternative, right? What if we had a more covenantal approach? What if we had a covenantal approach that says God's love and therefore our identity is received and not achieved. In other words, it is not determined by our success or failure. It is, it is received by grace, but we, the reception part of it is really important because we are returning an embrace that God first offers, right? That, mm-hmm. that we are directing our identity to be sourced in the direction of God's embrace. Therefore, if that is the case, and if that is true, our identity is rooted in his kingship and our obedience to that all the way into our vote, and guess what? Because his kingdom is not of this world, there is never, ever going to be a 100% overlap between what is what a, a Christian uh, uh, informed conscience is going to be wholly or fully able to affirm through that vote. Mm. But that only happens if we understand our vote not as an expression of our identity and our dignity, value, and worth, but actually a, a freedom we have to steward God's kingdom influence in the world that identity is not on the line for. Man, that's huge because we're not, I feel like somebody's going to, as soon as we, you know, critique the vote as an expression of conscience, somebody's going to get upset and say, are you saying we shouldn't vote? We're not saying don't vote. Yeah. If your conscience allows you, you should vote, but it's a, it's, it's, it's a, it's a tool or a privilege or a power that you have and just like other tools that you have, like money and time and other resources, it's something that God invites you to steward for the sake of his kingdom. And, and I tell you what, that I would love to, like, I just want to make a plug for a book right now. The And Campaign um, is a an amazing uh I'm pretty, I think it's a, it's a nonprofit. It's a political nonprofit that is seeking to kind of educate um, Christians, especially about how to engage in the political process as good, faithful citizens, both of the kingdom and of our country. And they make this very point. They don't use our king and kingdom language, but they may as well be title of this book is compassion and conviction. And these these two categories that they use may as well be shorthand for the kind of primary political value of kind of a secular or or just a, a left progressive um, political conviction set of convictions as compassion and on the right very much about conviction and they say you do not have to choose between compassion and conviction mm, yeah you, you shouldn't have to and and they're basically casting a vision for a center that David French is articulating a loss and a, a vacuum for, and they are doing it exceedingly well. So if what we're saying right now resonates with you and you're interested in like exploring that on a more practical, concrete level, check out this book. It just released, I think like less than two weeks ago. Yeah, a couple of weeks ago. Yeah. So good. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think it's important to say if you're, if you're listening to this and you are somebody who would find themselves, you know, in the evangelical camp, whether theologically or culturally, um, we're not, we're not saying to give up on the things 
that you think are important. Hmm. We're not saying give up on the king. We're saying uh, we have to embrace his kingdom too. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's so important to say we're not saying that that religious freedom doesn't matter. <laughs> we're not saying that uh, abortion is not a, a crucially important issue in our culture. They are. They're, we're just saying these aren't the only two issues that matter. And we're saying that what God calls us to is not just to follow the king. He does. He does follow. We, Jesus is our king. But he, what Jesus is inviting us into is not something less than it's more than than what we're talking about he is the king and he leads us into his kingdom which is not fully arrived yet and yet as the you know the first thing jesus said when he began his public ministry in uh, in the synagogue he stood up he read the scroll from the book of isaiah and he said uh this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing because the kingdom of God is at hand. So it's not less than evangelicalism. It's more than evangelicalism as we follow the king into his kingdom and embrace a not individualistic way of achieving our identity, but a covenantal way of receiving our identity. Amen. Hey, thanks so much for joining us today. Next week, we are going to share our solution. We are not just here to beat up on secularism or evangelicalism. We are wanting to move towards a solution. And uh, so next week, we're going to ask the question, what does it look like to live in light of the king and the kingdom? We are going to begin unpacking covenantalism to you. It's a beautiful biblical concept, and you're not going to want to miss that. So uh, subscribe to our podcast so you won't miss it. You can subscribe at Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever you like to get your podcasts. If you want to see what some of this looks like in practice, check out our website, kingandkingdom.community. Brad has an article that is coming out tomorrow that's going to have uh, some more resources for what this looks like in practice. Thanks for listening to Everything Just Changed, where we are seeking to help you faithfully navigate life in a post-Christian and post-pandemic world. I am Bryce Hales with my friend Brad Edwards. Our theme music was recorded by Kevin McLeod and used under a Creative Commons license from filmmusic.io. And our logo was designed by Danny Rankin. Thanks, guys. We would love to hear from you at kingandkingdom.community. Jump over there. You can interact with us. We would love to know what difference would centering around king and kingdom make in your life. Do you feel the squeeze of secularism versus evangelicalism? What does that look like in your life? Please, uh, we want to hear back from you. So take a look at our website. You can subscribe there to get updates, notifications on new episodes, additional resources. We'd love to hear from you. And we'll talk to you next week right here on Everything Just Changed.